Well, good morning. We're delighted to see you here this morning. As I look out, I do see some that are visiting with us, and we're delighted to have your have you visiting with us this morning. If you haven't done so, I would ask that you would sign the guest book, which is located there at the entrance of the auditorium, so that we'd have a record of your attendance. On the back of your bulletins are the announcements. We will be having lunch following this service, and then we'll have an afternoon service around 1.45 this afternoon. Wednesday night we'll have prayer meeting. It's on Zoom. Welcome all of you to come and be with us as we pray together. If you're not sure how to do that, uh, don't see me because I'm not sure how you do that. I just am there when it comes on. But you can see my wife and, and she might be able to give you that information on how to get on Zoom on Wednesday night for prayer meeting. Saturday, the ladies' Bible study. So ladies, keep that in mind. Nine o'clock at the home of Joe White. Then you see the announcements for next Sunday. Uh, we will, Sunday afternoon, have the annual meeting. So we'll have an afternoon service, a more abbreviated afternoon service, and then that will be followed by the annual meeting. And with that annual meeting, of course, there are a couple of things that you'll need to consider, you members. Uh, number one, the budget. You'll be voting on the budget. There's a proposed budget on the back table. So please take note of that. If you have a question before the annual meeting, see one of the deacons for those answers. And then also we'll have an advisory ballot uh, next Sunday afternoon at the annual meeting for anyone, any man that you think should serve in the office of the elder or the deacon. So I trust you'll read 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, the qualifications, and then uh, that advisory ballot will be taken uh, next Sunday at the annual meeting. And then also for the members of the church, uh, you'll see in the budget uh, a line item for an intern. Okay. The amount in the line item is 6000 It doesn't print well. I think it's a different color and our printer didn't pick it up. But uh, the intern, it will be Micah Smith and um, but there's a policy that I've written up. It's on the back table, the informational table. We have two tables in the back. We have a book table. We have an informational table. And so the policy for the intern is there. So if you'll read that over, uh, we'll be discussing that at the annual meeting as well. So uh, please, if you're a member of the church especially, pick up one of those and read that over. If you have questions with regard to that, you can, you can see me. And I'll be glad to entertain those questions. And then you see the last announcement, the men's conference coming up on uh, March 11th at Grace Baptist in Canton on the topic of the Bible and gender issues. The speaker will be uh, Dr. Sam Waldron. So they have asked us to register for that. The um, email address is there to register. So men, if you have an interest in going, please do that. I think they want you to register think by the end of, it's, it's on the sheet, there's an informational sheet back there, it'll tell you when they want you to register by, so keep that in mind, gentlemen. All right, that's all the announcements. Now, let's give ourselves to the worship of our God together. In Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul told the church of Colossae to be thankful, and then he reminds them of what they have to be thankful for, for he says to them, 
For God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Whatever your circumstances might be today with regard to events in your life, as a believer, you always have reason to give thanks. Because you know he's redeemed you, and you know there's forgiveness of sin that is found in him. And it is that God who rescued us that we gather to worship this morning. So we just take a moment to prepare your hearts to worship that God. Inside your bulletin is the call to worship. It comes from Micah chapter 6. Every true believer should ask the question, what should I do for God? What can I bring to God? Not to find acceptance with Him. The only way to find acceptance with God is through His Son, Jesus Christ. But what can I bring to God that He will find to be acceptable in His sight, pleasing before Him? And Micah deals with that here in this portion of Scripture. So will you stand with me and let us call one another to worship with this responsive reading. With what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams, in ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? Now let us take our Trinity hymn books and turn to 216, 216 in the Trinity hymn book, crown him with many crowns, the Lamb upon his throne, 216.
Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for your grace and mercy and the many, many blessings you have given us. Thank you that you gave us the means to get here and that we can meet here openly to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now again, take your Trinity hymn book and turn to 552. 552, O Jesus, I have promised to serve thee to the end. 552. be reading in Luke 9:28 through the end of the chapter. Now about 8 days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, 
Master, it is good that we were here, that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. And I beg your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus, Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him, because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him, who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him, because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This morning, as again we seek our God together in prayer, we especially want to remember the Perkins, Philip and Abigail Perkins, who labor or did labor in Asia Pacific. They are now home. They are not sure what the future holds with regard to their labor, but for the time being, they're home to work on some things, some personal things going on in their lives. So we pray that God would help them and help them to be committed to one another, and then we wait to see what God has for them in the future. But we do want to uphold them in prayer. So let us seek our God together this morning.
Our Father in heaven, as your word is read to us this morning, we are again struck by your humility. When you tell those who are wanting to follow you, the cost of following you is that foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You left the glories of heaven. You're the one who has created all things. You're the one who rules over all things. And yet you were pleased to leave all that and be made in the fashion like a man. In order, Father, that your son might go to the cross. Endure the cross, despising the shame. To redeem a people to Himself. To rescue us out of darkness. And transfer us into Your kingdom. Father, we're thankful that many of us gathered in this place this morning can know by Your grace and through the work of Your Son the forgiveness of sin. To have our sins washed away. To have them removed as far as the east is from the west. To have them cast into the depths of the ocean. How we give you thanks that because of your Son and His work on the cross, we can now come boldly before the throne of grace. Knowing that we have a Heavenly Father who, who delights in hearing the prayers of of His people. Father, we have much to be thankful for. And we pray that even in this service this morning, which is really a service about meeting with You, and so we pray that You would be center in our focus. That it is our desire that, that You would be glorified and honored and exalted in this place, in our singing, in our, in our praying, in our giving, in our hearing Your Word as it's read and preached. Father, do not leave us alone, but come and meet with Your people this morning. As Your Word goes forth, how we pray that the Spirit of God would, would come among us, have dealings with us, and lead us to have dealings with You. So, Father, we pray that our time together would be a time of truly meeting with God so that when we leave this place, we might be able to say it was a delight to meet with God along with His people this morning. And Father, how we pray that we might be faithful in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, His, His death, burial, and resurrection. For we know it's through the Gospel that you're pleased to add men to the Kingdom of God. It's through your Gospel that the Spirit of God moves on the hearts of men, bringing them to repentance and giving to them the wonderful gift of faith. It, it is through the Word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and, and hearing by the Word of God. And so we pray that that operation would take place this morning. Not only here as your Word goes forth, but wherever your word is proclaimed this morning. 
May Father, you be pleased to take your word and add more to the kingdom of God for your glory and honor. And Father, we think of the Perkins and we pray for them this morning. We thank you for what you're doing in their lives. We thank you for awakening them to priorities in their lives that that need to be cared for and dealt with. And we pray that during these days that they're home, that they will be days in which they will find, as a couple, they find themselves drawn closer to you and closer to one another. Father, we pray for Abigail, even as she is with child, that you would continue to watch over her and the baby during these days. Help them with regard to bringing up their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And then give them direction with regard to what they ought to do in days to come. Father, we pray that you would be with those who aren't able to be with us this morning. We know that we have some who are away. We know that we have some who are in beds of affliction. We pray that you would minister unto them wherever they be. We We pray for those who who might be sick this morning, that even as they watch by way of live stream, that the Word of God will have an effect upon their lives and do them good. But, But Father, we pray that they might soon be back among us and worshiping with us in this place. So Father, draw near to us, we pray, as we give you all the glory and the honor, and as we pray these things in your beloved Son's name. Amen. Now before we come to open the Word of God again in the Trinity Hymn Book 492, 492, Take My Life and Let It Be Consecrated, Lord, to Thee, 492. Let's stand together and sing.
may be seated. Deuteronomy chapter 24. Deuteronomy chapter 24. For those of you who are visiting with us, we are engaged in a study of the book of Deuteronomy, and we find ourselves in the midst of Moses' message in which he is expounding for the children of Israel the Eighth Commandment. The Eighth Commandment. So in chapter 24, as we bring this to a conclusion this morning in verse 22, it is bringing to a close his explanation and opening up of the Eighth Commandment. The Eighth Commandment is, Thou shalt not steal. And so as we come to this final section of this portion of Moses' message, I I want to remind you of what Moses has already told the people back in Deuteronomy chapter 4. He's reminded the people about the blessings of knowing God and having His Word. We read in chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, these words, For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord God whenever we call on Him? Or what great nation is there that has statutes and judgments as righteous as this whole law which I am setting before you today. Moses says to the people, Name me another nation that has a God as great as your God. And name me another nation who has a God who has revealed His will to them with regard to how they ought to live. Moses is saying to the children of Israel that as you pass over the Jordan and into the promised land, that you're going to be surrounded by other nations. And what ought to set you apart are these two realities. You know the living God. You have a relationship to the living God. And secondly, this living God has told you how you ought to live. That your life ought to be distinguished from the life of the other nations. Don't let them influence you, but continue to obey my commandments. How you live should be in contrast to how they live. And when we come to chapter 24, starting here at verse 6, Moses is saying even when it comes to the area of how you treat and how you conduct yourself among the weak, the disadvantaged, the poor, the needy, there should be a stark difference on how you behave and how others may behave as well. 
You know, the Apostle Paul has reminded the believers in Rome of these two very realities. There is a God, and God has revealed His will to you on how you ought to live in a fallen world. So we read things like this in Romans 13 and verse 1. Love does not wrong, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Paul says, as we live in this world, and as we're commanded to love others, that love seeks to stay away from any kind of harm to my neighbor. I want to love my neighbor. I want to seek to do them good. Isn't that the fulfillment of the law? Love your neighbor as yourself. That's how you're to live in this world. Paul goes on in Romans 15 and verses 1 and 2 and says, Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Well, that's a strange idea. Don't live to please yourself. Seek to do good to others. He goes on to say, each of us is to please his neighbor for his good and for his edification. How does the world live? The world lives like this. It's all about me and what I want and what's good for me and what pleases me. And Paul says, no, believers, your life ought to be a contrast to such a life. You ought to think of others more highly than you think of yourselves. You ought to do them good and not harm and love them. And in so doing, you're fulfilling the law of loving your neighbor as yourself. So when we come to Deuteronomy 24, that's the message of Moses to the children of Israel. Remember, there's a living God, and there's not a nation that's got a God like your God. And remember, He's told you how you're to live as you pass over the Jordan into this land that has been promised. And in particular, how you're to deal with the weak, the disadvantaged, the vulnerable in this world. And so what we have, starting in verse 6 down to the end of the chapter, we have eight laws dealing with various concerns, primarily concerns with regard to your material possessions and how you're to handle them in dealing with the weak and the vulnerable and the disadvantaged. Now, now I've summarized them with six because three of them have to do with giving a pledge. And so I've lumped them together and, and then we'll look at the other five as well. So the first thing I want to have you notice from this passage is that attention is given to the debtor. To the debtor. 
And, and, and the cases that he sets before us, there's involved a pledge. A pledge was something you would give to a lender that could be kept if the loan goes unpaid. We know someone who has serious financial struggles and to get relief from those struggles, they, they're given an interest-free loan. You might remember that from back in chapter 23, verses 19 and 20. A brother gets an interest-free loan. However, the individual receiving the loan would put up collateral to the lender that would motivate him to make sure that he paid off the loan. So if the loan's not paid off, then the lender could keep the pledge. So we're, we're somewhat familiar with that. The bank loads you money. It's, it's got to have something by way of collateral to make sure they get paid back. Well, that's what a pledge is all about that we'll read here. So first of all, no, notice with me verse 6. No one shall take a hand mill or an upper millstone in pledge, for he would be taking a life in pledge. So here we have a debtor, and he's to give collateral, but the lender is not to take a millstone or, or the upper millstone, which, which is a, a, a stone, a huge piece of stone that, that they would grind their grain in, in order to make bread. It, it was an essential part of their cooking equipment. Each morning it would be used to prepare flour in order to make bread for the family that would be needed. So if someone took the hand mill or the upper millstone, it would bring a real hardship to that family. How would they be able to make bread and provide nourishment that's needed for the family? Mr. Craigie in his commentary said it would be contrary to the spirit of generosity which should characterize the lender. He's not to take something that would be a hardship upon this family. That would bring difficulty into the life of the family. Don't do that. In verses 10 to 13, again, we see something of the pledge or the attention given to the debtor. Look at verses 10. When you make your neighbor alone of any sort... You shall not enter his house to take a pledge. You shall remain outside, and the man to whom you make the loan shall bring the pledge out to you. If he's a poor man, you shall not sleep with his pledge. Now again, in our culture, some of these things seem strange to us. But, but here's the scenario. You, you, you loan a man some money... And he, he's promised you a pledge. He says, you know, I, I've got this, this special lantern in my house. 
and I'll give you my lantern as collateral. And this command is, when you go to his house, the lender's not to go inside. Now, why not? Because there would be the temptation that if you went into his house and you look around and here's this lantern that he's going to give you for collateral, but over here is this sword that... Oh, would be wonderful in your collection of swords. You might say to the borrower, "Wait a minute! Wait a minute! No, no, no! I'm gonna. I don't want the lantern. I want the sword." And to keep you from that temptation of changing the order of the agreement, don't you go into the house. In fact, he'll go in, get the lantern, bring it out, and give it to you, and keep you from that temptation. And, now notice what else it says there. It says, if he is a poor man, you shall not sleep with his pledge. When the sun goes down, you shall surely return the pledge to him, that he may sleep in his cloak and bless you, and, he will be right, and, you will, and it will be righteous for you before the Lord your God. Here's, here's another scenario. Let's say he says, for our for our sake, he says, for collateral, I'm going to give you my bed. And the creditor says, okay, I'll take your bed. But then the law goes on to say, listen, if you take his bed, you just take it for the day because he needs to sleep. So you bring it back at night so so he's able to sleep. Otherwise, he's not going to get any sleep. If he doesn't get any sleep, he's not going to be able to get any work. And if he can't work, then he's not going to be able to pay off the debt. So here's how you're to treat him. You're to treat him kindly. And you need to recognize that if I keep this as collateral and do not give it back to you at night, then you're not going to be able to do what you need to do. And so every night, I'll bring your bed back and you'll sleep. It's just a way of saying... I don't want to bring hardship upon you. I, I want to be kind to you. I, I want to do you good as you go through this. And then look at verse 17 again, dealing with, with the pledge. You shall not perverse justice do an alien or an orphan, nor take a widow's garment in pledge. You, you're not as a lender, to take the widow's cloak. You're to have compassion on her in the midst of her distress. You're, you're to display kindness and show a tenderness towards those who are in need. Here's an orphan. Here's a widow. Don't take It gets cold. Don't take her cloak. See that she's taken care of, even though she might owe you money. You see, at contrast with the world, it's about me. I don't care if she gets cold. That's her problem. But the commandment is, don't do that. Don't take her cloak. So, so we have a tension that's given to the debtor and how they are to be treated and even though they're a debtor, they're to be treated kindly. 
They're to be treated graciously. They're to, they're to be treated with love. Do them good. All right? Second, we notice here in this passage, attention given to life. To life. Verse 7 says this, If a man is caught kidnapping any of his countrymen of the sons of Israel, and he deals with him violently and sells him, then that thief shall die, so you shall purge the evil from among you. Here, here's this scenario. Here you have a man who owes you money, and he's not able to pay you back. And so he becomes indebted to you, and in order to pay off his debt, he may go to work for you and, and do work for you to, to help pay off the debt. And the commandment is this, you treat him kindly. And, and sometimes, if a man comes to work for me because he owes me money, I may sell his debt to somebody else. You give me the money, I'll let him work for you. And you're not to do that. You're not, you're not to sell his debt. But as he's working for you, you're to look upon him as a human being. This law was to assure that this allowance would not turn into slavery. Or in our day and age, human trafficking. They were not to be treated. They were, they were not to treat such individuals as slaves. And, and Moses says such behavior is thievery. And God takes human life so seriously that, that we notice the punishment. This man shall die. He will die. It's considered stealing of a human life. And it calls for severe punishment. And again, even in looking at this, we see the value God places upon human life. Third, and we're just going through these quickly, rapid fire. Because, I mean, a lot of them, I, I don't know of anybody who's got anybody working in their home trying to pay off debt. Maybe you got some, I don't know. I don't know of anybody who's gone to some woman and say, I want your coat. I've loaned you my... I want not. But, but these are the laws that the children of Israel were to follow as they enter into the promised land. So thirdly, we see attention is given to what I'm calling the public. The public. Verses 8 and 9. Be careful against an infection of leprosy that you diligently observe and do according to all that the Levitical priests teach you, as I have commanded them. So you shall be careful to do. Remember what the Lord your God did to Miriam on the way as you came out of Egypt. Now, now here, Moses is giving a commandment, a law, with regard to, and, and many, many translate this, that once you have leprosy, listen to what the Levitical priests tell you to do and obey their instruction. 
I don't believe that's a correct translation. I believe what Moses is saying here is this. Because, first of all, the Levitical priest never give instruction with regard to what you're to do if you have leprosy. You were to go to the Levitical priest and receive instruction when you were healed of leprosy. So what Moses is saying here is, I believe, that you ought to observe my commandments, my ordinances, do what I tell you to do, do what the Levitical priests have told you to do with regard to your offerings and sacrifices given to the Lord. And if you don't, God may strike you in judgment with a disease, a disease of leprosy. Isn't that what happened to Miriam? We, we don't have an account that Miriam received instructions from the Levitical priest about what to do with her leprosy. She was struck with leprosy. Why? Because she rebelled against God-given authority, her younger brother. Maybe she thought, well, he's getting too much attention. He's the baby of the family. Why, why is he getting off? And she rebelled against his word, which came from God. And what happened? She struck with leprosy. So Moses is saying to the people, listen, you obey God and the instructions he gives you through the Levitical priest. If you don't, then judgment will come. Don't rob God of what he tells you to do. Obey him. It's much like Mike, uh, Malachi chapter 3. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. Don't rob God. Do what he says. Because if you rebel, God's judgment may show up by some infectious disease that will affect your community. Fourthly, he gives attention to what we would call hired servants. Hired servants. In our day and age, we might call them employees. But notice what the Word of God says, verses 14 and 15. You shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your countrymen or one of your aliens who is in your land, in your towns. You shall give him his wage on his day before the sun sets, for he is poor and sets his heart on it so that he will not cry out against you to the Lord and become sin in you. So here we have the example. Here's a man who's a landowner. Remember, remember Matthew chapter 21, Matthew 20. Our, our Lord tells a story about a, a landowner who needed people to work his land. And he would go to the town square, and, and there would be men there who were looking for work. And, and so you would show up and you would say, you guys, you come work for me. And, and, and they agree to, in Matthew 20, it was a denarius. They agree to work for a denarius. And so they go and they work all day on this land for a denarius. And with Matthew 20, I, 
don't want to get necessarily get into Matthew 20, but you know they go back several times and, and, and get people to come and work for them. Well, this is what's going on here. Here's a landowner, and he needs some men to work his field. And so he hires them for the day. And, and as they work for the day, they are to be paid a day's wage at the end of the day. This law required that the end of each workday they would be they would have to pay their hired servant. These individuals were were living one day at a time. And it would be a hardship if they didn't get paid at the end of the day for their family. Now nowadays we talk about I'm living one paycheck at a time. And maybe some of us can relate to that. I, I remember when, when, when I was in, in seminary at the academy and, and we just had a baby. And I'm going to school and, and going to work. And, and the company I worked for, unbeknownst to me, went bankrupt. And at the end of that week, I didn't get a paycheck. I, I had worked all week. Well, I, I take that back. I think I got a paycheck. The problem with the paycheck, it was like a ball. You know what that means? It bounced. So now here I have a wife, a brand new baby, and no paycheck. And we didn't know what we were going to do there would be bills that needed to be paid that week. I, I didn't have a nest egg that I could draw off of. I didn't have a $1,000 emergency fund set away someplace. It brought a hardship. Now, there's an end to that story. I won't get into that. I'll leave it there, how God provided. But at first, it was quite distressful. And this is what Moses is saying. When you hire someone, you're to pay them. And if you don't pay them, it is a violation of the Eighth Commandment. Fifthly, we have attention given to what I've called the faultless. The faultless. Verse 16. Fathers shall not be put to death for their sons, nor shall sons be put to death for their fathers. Everyone shall, everyone shall be put to death for his own sin. When, when Israel was going to go into the promised land, some of the nations that would now surround them had certain practices. So, so let's say your father is a carpenter. And he's hired to build a house for a family, but he cuts corners and he doesn't, he uses shoddy material so that when the family moves in, the family's son's carrying in a load of stuff and he hits a certain thing and the house collapses and falls on that son and that son dies. Other nations would say, not only should the father die, 
that his son should also die. The carpenter's son shall also die in place of the son who has died because of the shoddy workmanship. And Moses says, we're not going to operate that way. If a father sins, his son is not to be punished for his father's sin. If a son sins, the, the father is not to be punished for his son's sins. Each person is to be accountable for his own sin. And then sixthly, attention that's given to the needy. To the needy. Verses 19 to 22. And when you reap your harvest in your field and have forgotten the sheaves in the field, you shall not go back to get them. It shall be for the alien or the orphan or for the widow in order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. And when you beat your olive tree, you shall not go over the burrow again. It shall be for the alien or the orphan or for the widow. And when you gather grapes of your vineyard, you shall not go over it again. It shall be for the alien, the orphan, and for the widow. You shall remember that you were slaves in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I am commanding you to do this thing. So here, this is one time God says, I want you to be forgetful. And when you've gone out to your fields, and you've reaped your harvest, and you've left some out in the field, don't go back and get them. Leave them for the orphan the alien, and the widow. When you go to your olive tree and you're shaking that tree and the olives fall down and you gather them up, don't shake it again. Leave those olives for the orphan and the widow and the alien. And when you go to pick the grapes on your vine and you're picking away and you come back into the house, you look out and say, hey, why hey, we left some grapes on the grapevine. Don't go out and get them. You leave them. You leave them. God's going to be generous to you. Remember God's promise. You're going to go into this land, and if you obey me, you're going to enjoy a great harvest. You're going to enjoy things that you never planted. I'm going to be so kind to you. Now, you be kind to others. You seek to do them good. You see, it's the recognition that, you know what, this really isn't mine. It's God's. I'm just a steward of what God has given to me. And, and if God can use it to help others, well and good. If I leave $1,000 in the field of, of harvest grain, but it can benefit others and do them... Well and good. This is God's, not mine. It's, it's His. So He's saying, don't, don't steal what belongs to others in your field or in your vineyard. These are, these are God's gifts to the poor. So remember that. So, so here, here we have these, 
these various case laws, these various scenarios uh, of dealing with the debtor, uh, of dealing with life, of dealing with the public, of, of dealing with the hired servant, uh, of dealing with the needy. Here, here are these various laws. Now, now, at the end of the day, you might sit back and say, what does that have to do with us? I don't own a field. I, I can't leave grain in the field. What, what, what does that have to do with me? I'm, I'm not going to give my son up. Because of my sin. And at the end of the day, here's what I want you to take away. As we live in this world, I mean, what would, what would cause the children of Israel to live in this manner when they go into the promised land? Why would anybody ever live like this? Well, the answer is, as, as you read throughout this, number one, because there is a God. The reality of God who, who watches over everything I do. As you read down through here, look, look at verse 13. When the sun goes down, you shall surely return the pledge to him that he may sleep in his cloak and bless you, and it will be righteousness for you before the Lord your God. So I take a cloak by way of collateral, and I'm to give it back to him at night so that he can sleep. And the reason I do it is because God's watching Everything I do. It's called living in the fear of God. It's recognizing that there is a God who I will answer to. And therefore, I will behave a certain way as He's directed me to behave. Look at verse 15. You shall give him his wages on his day before the sun sets, for he is poor and sets his heart on it, so that he will not cry against you to the Lord, and it becomes sin in you. God takes notice of how you treat the weak, the vulnerable, and the poor. And don't you treat them in such a way that they cry out to the Lord, and it becomes sin to you. God frowns upon what you do. I don't think anyone here has a bed that belongs to somebody else that you've picked up on your way to church this morning. You've got it in your trunk because it's collateral. And later on tonight, you're going to go take it back to him. But my friends, you do have a God who has told you how you're to live in this world. You do have a God who's given you instructions with regard to what our lives should look like in this world. We're, we're to be living sacrifices to God. And so why do I love my wife 
And you may say, well, because she's lovely, and I, I can't argue with that. But at the end of the day, I love my wife because God's command, it's not as romantic, but God's commanded me to love my wife. That's how I'm to live in this world. I'm to love my enemies. That's not easy to do. That's unnatural. But a God who has saved me has told me, this is how you're to live. And He watches. And He knows. And I want His blessing. I don't want His, I don't want his frown. So that's why I live the way I live. Why, as we saw in Sunday school this morning, why has this world gone insane with regard to their behavior, with, with regard to gender, with regard to marriage, with, with regard to all these things? Why is it that the world seems to be going insane? Because they do not recognize there is a living God. But as believers, we recognize that. And we live every day with that reality. That God sees what I do in the classroom. That that God sees what I do in the office. That that God sees how I behave at home. That, that, That God sees what nobody else sees about my life. That God knows. And He's given me His Word that says, here's how you're to behave. And because of the grace of God working in our hearts, working in our lives, redeeming us from our sins, We're like the Apostle Paul who says, Lord, what would you have me to do? And and, and that's part of the argument that Moses gives here. Remember, you were once slaves. You were in bondage. And, And someone delivered you. So why should I be kind to someone else? Because God's been kind to me. Why should should I seek to do good to others? Because God's been so good to me. He's redeemed me. Forgiven me. And he says, now, now as my children, here's how you're to live. And my response isn't, oh man, another manual, I've got to live by this book. No, because of this regeneration, because of this conversion, because of God's grace, I delight to do your will, oh God. And I live in that reality. I'm convinced that as the people of God, 
if we would live as God tells us to live and do what God tells us to do, we would find real joy even in living in this world. But the problem is, so many times, even we as believers sometimes think, I have a better idea. Or sometimes we have this mentality. Well, when God told me to do that, He didn't realize my circumstances. I think I'm the exception to the rule. And that's not true. And if I, if I first of all, could, could truly convince myself of that reality and then seek to shepherd a people of that reality, how much better things would be. And so I, what do you, I, I want you to leave here this morning not with, well, let's see, if I take somebody's bed, i got to get it back to them by 7 o'clock tonight. Or, or you know, if I, if I hired a servant, I've got to make sure I pay them by the end of the day. I trust what you take away from all this is where we began. That you'll live your lives in the presence of a holy, living God. And that you'll be obedient to the direction that His Word gives to us with regard to how we're to behave as we live in a fallen world. And you may say, Pastor Walden, we could have been twenty minutes. We could have been done twenty minutes ago if you just stated those things and let us. Well, I just want you know. So we, I wanted to go through all these so you'd see this is what God expected of them. So we, God expects things of us. May by His grace we live our lives to His glory and to His honor. Let's pray. Father, again, we, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the direction that Your Word gives to us even as we examine the lives of the children of Israel before entering the promised land. And, and pray that we would learn from these things a principle of conduct a principle of how we ought to live. And Father, as believers, may, may we live to the glory and honor of our great God. And Father, how we would pray this morning, maybe there's some who are sitting among us who can't imagine living this type of life. They're still lost in their sins and they still live to please themselves. It's all about them. We... We are. We would confess we are selfish by nature. But how we give you thanks that the grace of God changes what we are by nature. And how we pray that there be those among us who do not know you, that even today you would bring them to see their need of a Savior. And may they run and embrace Christ by faith. And Father, how we pray that as Your children we would, we would seek always to live under Your all-seeing eye. And that where there is sin, we'd be quick to confess it. 
That, Father, by Your help and by Your grace and the work of Your Spirit in our lives, we would forsake it. And so, Father, come by Your Spirit. Write these things upon our hearts that we would live as we ought in this world. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the fulfillment of the law is the two great commandments. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. So in closing, take your Trinity hymn books and turn to 547, 547, I'm sorry, 548. More love to Thee, O Christ, more love to Thee. 548. Let's stand together as we sing.
You're welcome to stay for lunch, and then 1.45 the afternoon service, you are dismissed.